worship, wasn't it? Nothing like that. Nothing like experiencing the presence of the Lord. That's, what, that's really what our prayer is. There's no point to gathering unless we're really experiencing his presence going deeper. And that's my prayer as we get into the word. But I know what you're waiting for, the joke. Actually, it was this man, and he was uh, at a shopping mall, and suddenly he experienced a heart attack, and someone called 9-11, and the paramedics came. They took him to the hospital, and when the man awoke, he found himself in the care of nuns in a Catholic hospital. In fact, there was a nun sitting right next to his bedside. She had a clipboard, several forms, and a pen. And the nun asked the man, she said, do you have any health insurance? And in a rather gravelly voice, the man said, no health insurance. She said, well, do you have any money in the bank? And the man said, no money in the bank. And the nun, somewhat agitated, asked, well, do you have any relatives who could help with the payments? And the man said, I only have a spinster sister. She is a nun. Now this really aggravated the nun and rather loud. She said, nuns are not spinsters. They are married to God. And the man said, well, that's just perfect. Then send the bill to my (laughs) brother-in-law. Some of you will catch on to that. That's all right. Well, this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, we've been talking now to the section on relationships. And when it comes to relationships, we talked about generally our relationships aren't great because, you see, the problem lies within us. We always want to think it's external, but that's really not true. It's really internal. You know that, right? You're not sure. Well, by the time this morning's over, maybe you'll be sure. See, we need to change. Every single one of us, we all need to transform. So I've entitled the message this morning, Are You Changing? Are You Changing? Lord, I just, uh, before we enter communion, I believe these next several minutes are powerful and important to set up for next Sunday. And So I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you'll come. Even in a more powerful way, you'll open our hearts up to what you have to say. Because your words are always intended to bring life if we'll receive them. And so I cry out that there'll be life this morning. And people who had chains previously are going to walk out free because of Jesus Christ. So I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And I just thank you for what you're going to do now in these next several minutes. And I praise you in Jesus' name. I want you to know the Father wants to make you into a beautiful person. He wants to make me into a beautiful person. He wants to make us look like Jesus. That's beautiful. The problem is we have too many of us. What is known as a defeated mind. And you say, why is my mind defeated? And the Apostle Paul actually answers that question in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 3 and 4. Skip, can you put those verses up? Paul writes, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Why are we so defeated in our lives? Why am I so defeated in my life? I'm defeated in my life because I'm defeated in my mind. Why am I defeated in my mind? I'm defeated in my mind because Paul says we have strongholds in our minds. The Greek word for stronghold little means a fortification, a fortress. And we have these fortresses and we have these mindsets and they create a hopelessness within us causing us to accept as unchangeable behaviors, situations, mindsets that we know are contrary to the will of God. 
Do you know that Satan knows your strongholds and he uses them against you? In fact, Madison Avenue knows some of your strongholds, some of my strongholds, and they use them to their advantage. And I'll tell you, strongholds literally put your mind. They put my mind in chains. They put us in bondage. And we find ourselves struggling to fight against these strongholds, these mindsets. But time and time again, we find ourselves giving in. And we're doing the very thing we, that's killing us, that we want to stop, that we're so guilty about, that we're so guilt-ridden about. But the stronghold has us. You know, the fact of the matter is, you're wondering, what are some of those strongholds? What are some of those mindsets that we struggle with? The reality is, There are probably hundreds of strongholds that we could talk about. There are hundreds of strongholds that hold our minds in chains and in bondage. I'd like to just in a few brief moments share some of the major strongholds that probably all of us are dealing with in some form. The first stronghold I talk about is feeling good about me. I just need to feel good about me. You know, living in America, most of us feel it's an inalienable right to feel good, right? We believe we have a right to feel good. You know, not too long ago, I ran across this cartoon, and the cartoon started out with a little boy, maybe five or six years old, and he was holding this huge trophy, just about as big as him. He gets home, and his mother asks him, well, where'd you get the trophy? Why did you get the trophy? And the little boy says, well, I just signed up for soccer. You know, no, no, God forbid that I don't feel good about myself and that you don't feel good about yourself. You know, this has been one of my great strongholds. One of my great strongholds, feeling good about me. I'm not totally sure where it started, but I have a pretty good idea. You know, many of you know that I love sports. Made no bones about that. Used to be a major stronghold, in fact, in my life. And I loved all kinds of sports, baseball, basketball, football, tiddlywinks. I mean, I'll, I'll play you in tiddlywinks. And I was competitive in tiddlywinks. I mean, it just ran in my blood. And some sports I was good at, some other sports I wasn't so good at. Sometimes my team won, sometimes my team lost. But I remember when I was 10 years old, I remember very well, and it was my first year playing Little League, went from softball, graduated to hardball. So I was the youngest guy or one of the youngest guys on my Little League team. And I remember one particular game. It was the last inning of this particular game. We were one run down. The bases were loaded. There were two outs, and little Frankie was coming up. Now, you know, uh, we had a little rule in Little League that if you showed up to the practices and you came to the games, the coach had to put you in, you know, three innings, and you had a bat at least once. So the coach had no choice. He couldn't pinch hit for me. He had to put little Frankie up to bat. And I remember before I came up to bat, he said to me, Ray, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to, when you get to the plate, you crowd the plate. You know why you crowd the plate? Take one for the team. Take one for the team. Then he said, the other thing I want you to do is I want you to crouch real low like this. Look like, you know, you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, but I won't talk about that. You want to make the strike zone as small as possible. Above all, Ray, do not, do not swing at the first two pitches. Well, little Frankie goes up to the plate. You know how it is in Little League. The fans are going nuts. The parents are going nuts. Why? I don't know. It's a Little League game, but they're still going nuts. Now, I'm going to save you the drama of what happened. Blow by blow. Little Frankie struck out. Let me tell you, there's no longer walk from home plate 
to the dugout after you struck out, and in particular, you lost the game. And I remember, you know, leaving the field with my parents, head down, fully ashamed, totally humiliated. And my mother says to me, it's only a mother can do. She goes, I know what will make you feel better. Why don't we go to Bridgman's? Now, in my day, Bridgman's was the big ice cream place there in the promised land, Minnesota, in Edina. And, uh, you know, I thought, okay. So we went. And I remember ordering a big Sunday, hot fudge, whipping cream, cherry on top. And by the time I got done, you know what? I was feeling pretty good. And I learned a very, very powerful truth that day. When you're feeling bad, when you're feeling down, ice cream will solve your problem. You're laughing. Seriously, though, two lies were planted. We were going to talk about lies and truth, truth and lies. Two major lies were planted in my mind that day. Lie number one, feeling bad is not good. In fact, feeling bad might be evil. Lie number two, food, good food, things like ice cream, cakes, cookies, candy, they're gods. And they can solve any problem. And for most of my life, I have struggled with food. I have struggled with weight. You might even say that I have a food addiction. Feel bad? Feel down? Get some good food. And later in my life, as I got into the teenage years, that broadened out into alcohol and into sex. Feel down, Frank. Feel bad. Turn to that trifecta of food, alcohol, and sex. That'll make you feel alive. And for a moment, those things, in fact, did make me feel alive. And I want you to know, as long as always I believe those two lies, as long as I believe those two lies, I would stay addicted to food and to alcohol and to sex. I'm going to say it over and over. If you want to change, if you really want to change, then you got to change your thinking. If your thinking doesn't change, then your behavior, these destructive patterns that are destroying you and destroying your relationships, not going to happen. Simply not going to happen. Now, some of us have a stronghold of negative thinking, right? I mean, we're a walking Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong in my day, right? Friends come and go, but my enemies are going to accumulate, The line that I am in, well, it's going to move the slowest. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Anything good, anything good in my life is either illegal, immoral, or fattening. The light at the end of the tunnel is actually the headlamp of an oncoming locomotive. (laughs) Exactly, that's what my wife calls me, Eeyore. It's another one of my strongholds. My favorite, though, is Murphy was an optimist. Seriously, though, many of us have a stronghold of negative thinking. I mean, the the moment we get up, oh, wow, this isn't going to be a great day. Things are going to go wrong. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, you know, the result of having a stronghold of negative thinking is joylessness. Many of us struggle with depression, envy, and hopelessness, all due to the stronghold of negative thinking. Now, some of us have a stronghold of low self-esteem. Skip, can you put that up? I love that one. Dear diary, sorry to bother you again. 
That's, that, now folks, that's, that's low self-esteem. That, that would be low self-esteem. You know, and people who have the stronghold, people who have the stronghold, people who have a stronghold of low self-esteem, uh, they generally have these kinds of behaviors. You're generally anxious. You're lacking in confidence. You have an exaggerated concern over what other people think. You're reluctant to take on challenges. You're generally quiet, maybe in a corner somewhere. Hypersensitive, generally have poor relationships. You oftentimes will sabotage yourself. You suffer from addictive behaviors. Perhaps this describes a few people here this morning. You have the stronghold of low self-esteem, and it's not only destroying you, because see, what makes life worth living is having good relationships, and when you have a low self-esteem, when you have the stronghold of low self-esteem, you don't have good relationships. Others of us might have the stronghold of entitlement. Well, we live in America, right? And so we find ourselves having the stronghold of entitlement. People who have the stronghold of entitlement tend to think these things. My parents owe me. My parents owe me. People owe me. God owes me. You know, I deserve. I deserve better than this. I have my rights. Sound familiar? People with the stronghold of entitlement tend to think these kinds of things. And, of course, it leads to great disappointment in life and with people. Now, perhaps the most devastating stronghold of all is a wrong view of God. That may be, and I think it is, I think that may be the greatest stronghold of all. I could talk about the stronghold of fear. But I think the greatest stronghold is really a wrong view of God. And people who have this stronghold tend to think this. God is not trustworthy. God is not really good. God doesn't really care about me. God has rejected me. I can never, ever just live up to God's expectations of me. Now, see, if you think like that, if those are the kind of thoughts that are going through you, do you think you'll ever really be able to trust in God? Do you think you'll ever be able to have a deep, vibrant, intimate relationship with him? If those are the kind of thoughts you have this stronghold in your mind? I don't think so. Like I said, there are all kinds of strongholds. And all of us have them. You have them. You have them. I have them. We all have strongholds. And what these strongholds do is they keep our minds, just can you picture it? They keep us in chains, literally. It keeps our minds in chains. We're in bondage and and we're enslaved to Satan. We're ending up doing his bidding. We're enslaved to people and to people pleasing. We have poor relationships As a result, you know what the amazing thing is about a stronghold? I'm going to say it again. You know, the stronghold is bad thinking. Bad thinking leads to bad behavior. And the behaviors that we're doing, we know. We know that they're contrary to the will of God. We know that it's contrary to the word of God. And we find ourselves continuing day in and day out to have these sinful behaviors These sinful habits that we can't break. We want to break them. 
but eventually we become defeated because it happens to us day in, day out, week in, week out. It is an absolutely horrible place to be. Now, we got to move very quickly here to get to communion, but I do want to give you some hope, all right? I want to give you some hope. Skip, can you put up those two verses? You know, I don't think there's any more important verses in all of the New Testament than Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing, I plead with you, plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the only way you can worship him. You see, your life needs to be a worship service. We'll talk about this more next week. You're going to get this. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But Now watch this. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I want you to see these two verses are inextricably linked. They are inextricably linked. And if you want your thinking to change, you can't do it. See, that is the mistake of all of the human professionals, generally. See, they think you can change your thinking. There's a lot of great information out there. There's a lot of great motivational speakers. I can jack you up for a moment. But if you really want your thinking to change, only God can do it. But the only way God can do it, see, you got a part. I have a part in my freedom. If I'm a believer... Verse 1, and I'm just going to write over it right now. Verse 1, Romans 12, 1, means you need to surrender. I need to surrender. I got to say, Jesus, I'm getting out of the driver's seat. I'm going to get into the passenger seat. You are going to be controlling my life. We'll talk about this more. You're going to get this because when you truly surrender your life, complete control of your life, and by the way, you need to do this daily, Skip. Put it up real quick, real quick. Come on, Romans, or, uh, Luke chapter 9. Jesus says, it. he says, if anyone wants to come after me. So in other words, what he's saying is, if anyone wants to have a real relationship with me, now watch this, he must deny himself. And if you can't grab that, he says, take up your cross daily. See, I got to do it daily. Do you know every day I get up and I, I, I just... I said, Lord, I want to die. I want to die. This sounds counterintuitive, so I can live. Because, see, when I die, then I'm going to live because Romans 12, 2 is going to happen. Put it up. Put it up, Skip, real quick. Romans 12, 2 happens. Then God, see, God in the person of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18, we didn't get to that this morning, but Ephesians 5, 18 will occur. The Holy Spirit's going to be unleashed in your life. Remember, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be controlled by the flesh because you'll do worldly, fleshy things that will destroy you and destroy your relationships, but instead be filled, remember that, controlled, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, allowing the Holy Spirit to be released in you. See, when the Holy Spirit's being released in you, guess what? Your brain, your mind, your thinking begins to change. You're, you're, you know the greatest healing God wants to do in your life? And I do believe he's a healing God. Don't, do not get me wrong. The greatest healing he wants to do in every single person's is your mind. Oh, when you've got a healthy mind, it's a beautiful life. It is a beautiful life beautiful life when you have a healthy mind. We'll continue this next week because if you grab hold of this, your life can change from defeat to victory.
from defeat to victory. Now we're moving towards communion. Communion is about Jesus. And if you're a ser- server, you can just get back there. Um, but, Skip, can you put up the picture? You know, the, it's about the cross we're going to talk about. Cross is important because, see, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you say, well, that's bloody, Pastor. Why is it so bloody? Because that's the price of getting well. It just didn't happen. You don't just get well. Somebody had to pay the price for it. You couldn't do it, and I couldn't do it. He did it. The first step in getting well is you come to Jesus, you place your faith and trust in him. He forgives you of your sins. Isn't it great? How many here really know that their sins have been forgiven? I mean, you know that you know. You don't live in guilt anymore. See, it's horrible. Isn't, I, I love Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? But Jesus does more than just that. See, Jesus said, I've come to set you free. If the Son sets you free, John 8, 30, you shall be free indeed. See, he not only came to forgive us of our sins, he came to make us well so that we can live in victory. He doesn't want us to live in the muck and the mire anymore. He doesn't want us to, you know, always be guilty and live under condemnation because we just can't get out of the muck. We can't get out of the mire. He wants that. And it's possible. So the cross isn't just about forgiveness of sin. It's about healing. It's about setting us free. Strongholds. The power is the lie. Freedom. The power is truth. You may not have it yet. We're going to keep next week. Next week. We'll really get into it. I want you to know that Jesus wants you free. He wants this congregation free. I pray that we would really believe that. I pray.